0: Hello and welcome to episode 18 of the Active Growth Podcast. I'm Shane Milach, and today I'm on my own. I'm doing a solo episode and this is the fourth episode in our series on irresistible offers. So far in the series, we've looked at what the difference is between your product and an offer. We've also looked at how you can develop good offers and how you can test different offers all around the same product or skill. And of course, we've talked about the importance of having a good offer because the way you present your product, the way you frame your offer can make such a huge difference For example, a good offer is just so much easier to sell than a good product that doesn't have a good value proposition, that isn't presented in a good way. Today, for this final episode in the series, I want to simply go through examples of really good offers so that we can get a bit more practical and that we can get some inspiration, right? That we can see, okay, what do good offers look like in real life? Now, we will get right into it in a bit. Let me just quickly mention a couple of things. First of all, you can go to activegrowth.com forward slash 18 to get the show notes for this episode, which includes a list of all the offers that I'm going to be presenting with links to them so you can go check them out yourself and includes, you know, links to whatever else is mentioned, whatever other resources are mentioned during this episode. In the show notes, you can also sign up to the newsletter, so if you want to get notified either by email or by push notification on your phone or on your computer, you can go to that page, so that's activegrowth.com forward slash 18, and you can get notified whenever we publish new content. And just in case you're unaware, we don't only publish podcast episodes, we also publish videos and other blog content. So if you're currently subscribed on iTunes or CastBox or something like that, then you're getting some of our content, but you're also missing out on some of the coolest stuff we publish. So make sure to go to activegrowth.com forward slash 18 to get the details for this episode and to sign up. Also, if you saw my post about my big picture productivity spreadsheet for 2018, Stick around till the end of this episode for a little bonus update on that. And with that, let's get started with today's episode. To start off our list of great offers, first let me issue a few disclaimers here. I will be talking about products that generally are not market leaders in their category. And maybe that makes you think, well, hold on, if these offers are so great, How come I haven't heard of this before? How come I haven't heard of this app or this product before? How come it's not the market leader? And there are two things to keep in mind here. The first is that a market leader in a category is often kind of by definition a generic solution. A market leader in a category is often a well-established solution that maybe had an early mover advantage in the field. And it is often the the most powerful player in a market because it's like the generic, reliable, everybody knows what they're getting kind of solution, right? So it's almost in the nature of market-leading solutions to be generic and to not have great value propositions or offers. So it's like people sign up for the market-leading solution because it's the market-leading solution. And this also often makes the marketing of such solutions a bit lazy, right? Like everybody knows about it, everybody uses it, they don't really have to try very hard. Reminds me a bit of the famous Avis, is it Avis ad? They were not the market leader, right? They were behind Hertz, I guess. And they developed the slogan, we're number two, we try harder. This is really true. This is really what happens in markets. Usually the really interesting offers are not in the number one spot because the number one spot doesn't have to try so hard to get new customers, Secondly, the market-leading solutions are often large-scale or almost always large-scale businesses. And if you're building a business, solopreneur, small team, active growth style, then you shouldn't aim for that. You shouldn't try to create some product that has this broad market-leading appeal. It is much better to develop something that has niche appeal. And it's much better to go into a market where you can be you know, number five and still make a great living. And there are many markets like that. So this is attainable. Right? With a bootstrapped business, you can be number 10 or number five in a market and you can make a great living from that or it can be a stepping stone to something greater. And this is also something I recommend is that you pick a market where you don't have to be the winner. You don't have to be at the top of the pile for your business to be viable. So great offers like the ones we're going to look at generally have niche appeal. So they basically will never be the generic appealing to everyone type of solution. But that's also what we advocate. And another point before we go to the first example is that I want to talk about examples here. Instead of just showing, going through a bunch of examples saying, oh, this is great, that's great, this is great. I think that's not very useful. I also want to talk about how this could have gone wrong because a problem with really good offers is that they seem inevitable. You you see an offer that just nails it and you go, well, of course this exists. This makes so much sense. This must exist. How could it possibly be any different? That is a factor or that is a result of the offer being really, really good. And so we're also going to look at how this could go wrong and how such a good offer for the same product could have maybe been missed. So with that, let's get straight into it. The first example I want to present is called Carrot Apps. And specifically, we're gonna look at, so this is a series of apps, and I wanna look at the Fit app that they have. Here's a clip. Hi, chubby human. Fitness overlord care it here to announce seven minutes in hell. The diabolical interval workout that's so damn fun. We'll finally science your lazy carcass into a form more consistent with what celebrity magazines say you should look like. I'll personally offer advice, encouragement, and threats of bodily harm during each of twenty-four never-before-experienced exercises. Protect your property from hobos. Learn how to woo a lady dragon. Fantasize about punching Justin Bieber in his pretty face. And because you only need a wall to lean against, a chair to step on, and a small bucket in case you need to vomit, you will have no excuse not to be in fighting shape when the Robo Apocalypse begins. Carried fit. Now available on the App Store. So right away, you can tell that there's a sense of humor here. There's a sense of humor that sets this apart. Um, And the reason I choose Carrot Apps to present here as a good offer is because think of fitness apps. The other apps they have are the to-do list with a personality, Alarm, the sentient alarm clock, also with basically a bad attitude, a fitness tracker, the one that we just heard the clip for, Carrot Hunger, your judgmental calorie counter, and Carrot Weather, the weather robot with a personality. So think about think about these categories, right? These are like the most generic types of mobile apps. There's an absolute deluge of to-do apps and alarm clock apps and fitness apps and so on. But let's just zoom in on the fitness example. So there are absolutely thousands of fitness apps. And Generally, they're difficult to tell apart, right? Some of them you just log your exercises, but many of them are the coaching type of app, which is just, you know, it it customizes exercises for you somehow. It tells you, okay, this is the workout of the day or whatever. And look at, if you go to the App Store or to the Android Play Store and you type in something like fitness app and look at what you have there, it's just they're so replaceable, right? Every single one of them features somehow a picture of some ripped dude or maybe some ripped girl or both. You know, six-pack abs everywhere, right? Just six-pack abs everywhere. And everything is, what is it? It's, it's free, it's super effective, you'll lose weight, you'll gain muscle. It's the same message everywhere. And if you happen to be an established app, again if you have this first mover advantage maybe or you have really good marketing because remember it's not all just about the offer right marketing matters as well then that's fine right then you can you can attract droves and droves of people but Carrot have found a way to really stand out from that and to imbue their thing with a sense of humor and it appeals to a certain kind of person right your judgmental fitness overlord is their tagline I mean some people will hate this, of course. Oh my God, I, my phone is going to be judging me. This is terrible, but some people will love this because it's funny and it's different, it's irreverent. So this to me is just a great way to formulate an offer that in such a crowded market manages to stand apart. And if we think about how could this have gone wrong? Well, basically, you can just go to your app store and type in alarm or type in calorie counter. Type in to-do list and look at how there's just absolute floods of generic, replaceable, forgettable stuff in these markets. Right. So basically, for examples of how this can go wrong, look at almost every other example in these categories. This goes together with something we talked about in the last episode, which is making a kind of controversial offer, making an offer. That ruffles some feathers, that rubs some people the wrong way. This is exactly it. I mean, most people, especially when it comes to like, you know, calorie counting, fitness, this kind of thing, most people fear judgment, right? And there's this kind of there's this kind of shame and stigma attached to it. It's like, oh my god, you know, tracking my my calories, I, I binged on pizza and ice cream again and I'm tracking these calories and I feel bad about it, right? And I want to lose weight and I want to look better. And and for the Fit app, they even make a joke out of this where it's like, oh, you can shape your body in such a way that it conforms with the way fashion magazines tell you you're supposed to look, right? Kind of makes light of this thing that is that is that can be a big emotional issue for some people. And And like I said, I mean, some people would hate this, some people are like, oh, that's actually quite quite refreshing. So this is an offer that's not for everyone, that clearly separates itself in a cheeky and also kind of elegant way. Example number two: this is a book. This is a book that the title of this book is the headline of the year for me, and I'm, I'm I realize that this is being published in January 2018. So it might be premature to call something the headline of the year, but Honestly, I you know, I'm waiting to see one that beats this. So here we go. The title of this book is Meditation for Fidgety Skeptics. It's a book by Dan Harris, who's the author of 10% happier. 10% happier book about meditation. Clever title as well, I think. Um, you know, instead of over-promising, going, Oh my god, this will change your life, he goes, Here's something that'll make you 10% happier. And so his second book on the topic of meditation is called Meditation for Fidgety Skeptics. And basically, I don't have to say anything else about this. If you are interested in meditation, if you're interested in taking up meditation, or if you've tried it before, and you're generally open to the idea, but you don't have a solid meditation habit, this title hits the nail on the head for you. Meditation for Fidgety Skeptics. I would say that Dan Harris' specialty here is to make meditation accessible to people who are on the fringe of, you know, if you think of like the Venn diagram of people who are into meditation, right, and then a Venn diagram of people who are not into meditation and the people are like close to that edge, not in the overlap, but like close to the edge you know, who are open to the idea, who don't just go, oh, this is hippie nonsense or something, maybe read some of the research that has been done on the topic and go, ah, maybe I could benefit from this, but who feel silly to just sit down and do nothing for 10 minutes and who generally just struggle with that, right? You've got like this, this fast paced life. You've got about 59 notifications popping up on your phone every minute. And the idea of kind of just stopping doing nothing is difficult. Maybe it's stressful, right? And you're you are essentially a fidgety skeptic. You're also not sure about this whole, you know, you think about monks in robes and incense and and chanting and you're like, I don't know, this is not really in line with, you know, my worldview. But you do think maybe I could benefit from meditation. You maybe have seen some of the more, you know, let's say scientific and secular kind of material about meditation that's come out. So you're like, maybe this is for me. I think Dan Harris appeals to that group really well. This is an interesting offer because this could have gone wrong in more ways than one. It finds a fine line here because on the one hand, the problem is of preaching to the choir, which can be, I mean, that can be effective, but it it does have the preaching to the choir uh, problem. So if you create a book or program about meditation that appeals to people who are basically already on board with the idea of meditation or already doing it, then in terms of like, not necessarily in terms of sales, right? Not necessarily in terms of like the effectiveness of how many copies you can sell, but you might not be as effective in terms of making a difference. Preaching to the choir doesn't make as much of a difference. On the other hand, if you lean too far into, you know, the skeptic, and secular side and try to win people over from too far you're trying too hard to change people's worldview it's not going to happen either so the genius here is finding that line now in terms of marketing and reaching people this can also be really good because there are probably going to be so even if we I'm not actually familiar very much with the, let's say, the, the market or the field of meditation but I can assume that there are probably some established figures, gurus, authors that are on the preaching to the choir side. And that would be, those would be the established players where it's difficult to win market share from what they're doing and from their audience. And it can be really effective to open your product up to a different segment of the audience that the the core players in the middle are not appealing to. So I think in terms of pure business strategy and in terms of sales volume this is probably also a very effective strategy now the blurb here that goes with the book the first paragraph reads science suggests that meditation can lower blood pressure mitigate depression and anxiety and literally rewire key parts of the brain among numerous other benefits and yet there are millions of people who want to meditate but aren't actually practicing what's holding them back so right away, you can see that it rides that line again. It's, it opens with science suggests. So right away, it's, it's for the skeptic. It's for the person who's not already on board with, oh yeah, of course, I should be meditating. And it makes these important points. And it suggests there are millions of people who are in this category, right? Where it's like, I want to meditate, but I don't. And the book offers the solution if that applies to you. Our next candidate is called Mizzen and Main and they are a dress shirt manufacturer. There's an interesting thing here, which is often the case with offers, which is that they bury the lead a little bit. Let me show you what I mean. Their homepage, the first headline type thing I see on their homepage is the most comfortable dress shirt in the world, which sounds nice. Sure, I'd like a comfortable dress shirt. However, the price for one of these shirts is hundred and forty five dollars so if your offer is this dress shirt is comfortable and the price is hundred and forty five dollars my reaction is yeah you know what else is comfortable it's having hundred and forty five dollars in my pocket and wearing a normal shirt that's pretty comfortable too so they bury the lead in the sense that the best part of their offer you kind of have to go looking for you don't have to go very far you have to go looking for it and I'll play you a clip from one of their videos here that sums it up quite nicely. You are so close to getting the world's most comfortable dress shirt but you're probably wondering how it fits. This is our trim fit. It has a tailored athletic cut that fits close against the body. It's not I liked that band before they sold out hipster can't breathe skinny but not DiCaprio flapping in the wind at the front of the titanic loose. As always our shirts require no ironing and are machine washable. Now put one in the cart and get to clicking. So from this clip, we can tell that, first of all, they also have a sense of humor about this, which I think is a good way to add a bit of edginess and add a bit of personality to something, you know, to a boring product, basically, dress shirts. But also the most important part here is that one phrase, our shirts require no ironing and are machine washable. Now that gets my attention. And I bet that there are far more people who look at these, let's say, secondary benefits that are advertised. On the website, we have the following. There's four benefits lined up here. The first is moisture wicking. Never let them see you sweat. Second is machine washable. Kiss the dry cleaners goodbye. The third is four-way stretch. Throw those hands in the air. And the fourth is wrinkle resistant. Off the rack never looked so good. I think that these four factors and the idea that you don't have to iron this shirt and you can wash it at home in the washing machine or you don't have to bring it to a dry cleaner at any rate, wins far more people over than the tagline of the world's most comfortable dress shirt. The world's most comfortable dress shirt, that's nice. thats I think that's a bonus. Also note that the four-way stretch adds specificity to that claim, right? It adds specificity to the claim of this is the most comfortable dress shirt because you can easily say that. I mean, anyone can say that, right? But by saying that, they also make a big deal about the fact that these shirts are not made of cotton. And on one part of the website, they have a a line saying, are you still wearing cotton dress shirts? And so this adds specificity. So the claim of this is the most comfortable dress shirt is backed up by the idea this is not cotton. And by this four-way stretch, that Gives me something I can imagine I can see, oh yeah, the problem with dress shirts is that they're so uh, so static, right? They're, they're so stiff, and I can't properly move in them. And if it's a nicely fitted shirt, I can move even less. So this has a, a stretchy fabric and that sells me on that. But But again, I think the main thing here, the main idea is that, okay, you don't have to iron this shirt. You don't have to bring it to the dry cleaner. Now those $145 start to look a lot more reasonable. So if you think about how could this have gone wrong? Well, if someone wants to sell clothing, I think there are two things that would typically go wrong. The first is to try to be too many things to too many people, right? To try to sell not just dress shirts but everything, pants, suits, the, the entire suit for men and women, business and casual and so on and so forth, right? And in the fashion industry, very difficult to establish yourself. So, you know, maybe Mizzen and Maine will will eventually branch out. In fact, they do have some casual shirts and bottoms and and things. They do have other things that they sell. In fact, I can see here they even have hats. So, actually, they sell a whole bunch of clothes, but they don't advertise. They don't heavily advertise most of them, right? The the main point is their dress shirts. That's the, the entire homepage is about their dress shirts. And so everything else becomes more of a, a bonus. And maybe once you've tried one of their shirts and you they've won you over, then you're gonna order some more and you're gonna be like, oh, I might also check out their sweaters or something else. So they've done this very cleverly, and as far as I know, they launched with only shirts. But don't quote me on that. Um I didn't look into this too deeply, but I just seem to remember that the first time I looked at this website, which is a while ago, I'm pretty sure they didn't have all this other stuff that I'm seeing now. So a potential mistake here that they didn't make is to try and launch with too much stuff, but also a potential mistake that they're not making is to try and advertise too many things to too too many different people on their homepage. They keep the messaging on their shirts for the most part. Another thing that could have gone wrong here is to compete on style or to compete on price, which is basically what everyone else does. right? The fashion industry is largely about style and price and about, you know, fast fashion, so fast turnover in your collection. And again, that's, I wouldn't, you know, I think there would be a mistake to try and compete with a large player like that. And it's much better to think about this. This You can also think about it, you know, what's a, what's a problem we can solve here. And for a lot of men who need to wear dress shirts at work, their main concern is probably not fashion. Their main concern is maybe also, or maybe they think their main concern is, well, I just want it to be cheap. But actually, if you say, listen, the, the stuff you have to wear all day, it can be a lot more comfortable and it can be easier to maintain. You can save time, you know, not having to iron. You can save money over the long term by not having to dry clean. That is actually then an offer, that, you know, it's a benefit that maybe I've never thought of before, but it's a, it's also a really good word of mouth kind of thing, right? Which I learned about this company through word of mouth. Example number four is a service called Digit. Their headline is, Save money without thinking about it. Saving. Saving. You do it, right? Kinda? Not really? Yeah, not really. Who can blame you? It's boring and it requires all kinds of planning and stuff. But what if it was automated and also smart? Seriously. When you link Digit to your checking account, Digit studies your spending and income history to predict your cash flow, and then checks in daily for savings opportunities. Digit sets small amounts of money aside that you don't really need for your day-to-day expenses in a way that you won't notice. A few bucks here, a few bucks there, and it adds up. Digit automates your savings so that you don't have to think about it, or notice it happening. Oh yeah, and it's free. That's it. Sign up for Digit and enjoy the rest of your day. This is a great offer because it takes into account something that we often forget, which is kind of the human psychology and and the let's say the the less desirable parts of human psychology. Right? To acknowledge that, yeah, we basically all know that that we should be saving. We maybe all wish that we would have already been saving for a long time, but we end up just not doing it. It's kind of, you know, it's just not a high enough priority. And I'd rather buy something now than put something in a savings account. It's always this conflict, right, between instant gratification and long-term planning. And acknowledging that right away and basically saying, listen, we're going to solve this problem for you in a way that you don't have to think about it and that's really, really painless. I think it's very important. The idea that that we will be extracting very small amounts that you don't need, and putting it in a savings account, basically it's painless, right? You don't have to think about it, you'll barely notice it, but you'll somehow have savings building up. They have a nice uh, line here on the homepage that says, Digit calculates the perfect amount of money to set aside every day based on your income and spending and automatically saves it for you. Most days it'll feel invisible. I think that's a really key phrase there. Most days it'll feel invisible, but it won't take long to feel like the future you're working towards is within reach. That's really nice, concise messaging. It basically says, look, here's how to make a decision once, right? You make a decision once to sign up for this thing and set it up. And then this desired outcome that you have, you'll feel good about having done this without having to do, you know, without having to put in any continuous effort. That is a genius offer. How could this have gone wrong? Well, saving in general is really boring. And saving in general is, if you if you look up saving, there's a lot of talk about compound interest and 401ks and so on and so forth. And right away... It's just boring and complicated and they don't want to. And it also reminds me of this study that was done about choice paradox, where if you offered the more, basically, if you, if you have an employee benefit plan and you tell them, look, there are several different 401k saving plans that were basically your employer matches your savings. Not sure if 401k is the, the right term for this, but it's basically one of these savings plans where your employer matches your savings. And there's several different offers of how these savings will be allocated. You know, there's higher risk and lower risk investments and so on. The more different offers you show someone, the less likely they are to choose anyone. So if you if you tell them, look, we've got these plans that you can pick where we will match your contribution, let's say there's three of them, right? Like Higher risk, medium risk, low risk. You pick one of the most people, will pick, or many people will pick one of them. If you say here, you know, here are 50 different plans, you know, for every possible thing you could want, for every possible life stage and goal, we've got a plan for you. Very few people will choose one of those 50. Most of them will just not choose any. Even though when you ask them, they will say, Yes, of course I want to be saving. Yes, I realize that having an employee matching my contributions is actually great. I should be doing this, but I you know I'll do it later. Basically, I'm too busy right now. And the most effective strategy is actually to make it opt out, to say, look, we've added you to this plan here, and you you know check this box to remove yourself or to choose a different one. But most people will just not do that. They'll just take no action. It's like, oh, you made the decision for me. Fine, right? Because I do want to save, just don't want to spend any time on it. So I think this offer here, digit.co does that kind of thing. They basically say, like I said, there's one decision to make, right? There's a single decision to make is to sign up for this thing and that's it. (laughs) And you don't have to think about it ever again. So here the genius of the idea is that the experts behind this, they understand a lot of nuance and complexity when it comes to saving. And whenever you're an expert at something, the temptation is always to start explaining all the complex stuff you know. And that becomes overwhelming and people run away. And it's it's hard to see that from the perspective of the expert. It's very hard to see that because, hey, this is important stuff. And this is interesting stuff. I'm interested in it. Well, you know, why why is everyone running away when I start talking about this? And kind of recognizing like, okay, even, even though I know a lot of stuff about this and even though I understand how important it is and all that, to acknowledge, look, most people just don't want to deal with this. And that's what I'm going to sell them. Instead of selling them expertise Instead of selling them, you know, huge choice, customizable plans, and so on and so forth, I'm going to sell them. You don't have to think about this. Our next example is Masterclass. Masterclass, this is a short example, because basically it is an online course platform. You can take courses. And, and here's, here's an interesting thing. On their homepage, it just says Masterclass, and then Browse Classes. Then it says, Annie Leibovitz teaches photography. Stephen Curry teaches shooting, ball handling and scoring. Gordon Ramsay teaches cooking. Deadmau5 teaches electronic music music production. Aaron Sorkin teaches screenwriting. David Mamet teaches dramatic writing. Werner Herzog teaches filmmaking. Steve Martin teaches comedy. Hans Zimmer teaches film scoring, and so on. You can see where this is going, right? It's just top players and celebrities Teaching stuff, and this is a huge difference between masterclass and. There's, I mean, there's a huge market of online courses, right? There's a huge market of like Udemy and whichever the one is that LinkedIn bought. There's all these online course platforms, a lot of money in that, and all of them are this, this basically democracy, right? Where anyone can create a course, anyone anyone can buy a course. So you have. Well, you you have this situation where it's basically possibly amateurs and people you've never heard of teaching stuff. And of course, some of them are great teachers. Some of these courses are amazing. But they don't have this name recognition factor for the most part. And so Masterclass comes in and says, you know, we don't have to sell you. I mean, look at how they're not... They don't even have a tagline. They just say, look, here are the courses. (laughs) And because you recognize these names, because they're celebrities... That is their selling proposition here. So, here the genius is simply to find a differentiating factor that is so attractive. And of course, I wonder how they pulled this off. There's some massive, you know, this is a massive networking stunt of some kind to get all these people on board. I have no idea how that works, right? I, don't, I have no idea how you get, you know, Gordon Ramsay to do a cooking course for your for your platform i have no idea how that works but however they did that you know i mean and i imagine once they have a bunch of celebrities doing courses then a lot of others will come on board as well which is great um i just i just don't know how they got this started but i still wanted to bring it as an example i'm not going to spend a lot of time on this because once again if you if you looked at the courses the online courses landscape before masterclass existed it didn't seem so obvious that there was an opportunity here. It didn't seem so obvious that like this thing was missing. But now that it's here it's like oh my god, of course. Of course I want to learn comedy from Steve Martin. Our next example is called Brain FM. Brain FM is another example where I think they bury the lead a little bit. Like you have to look into this before you see how this offer is interesting and different. Cuz their title is simply Music for the Brain. And below it, it says: focus, relax, meditation, nap, sleep. Hmm. Okay, whatever. Music for the brain. Okay, let I me mean, right away. It's it's clear that this isn't just any music app, but I, I I do think that it doesn't make it doesn't do a great job of selling you on, on this. But let's go a bit further on the website. It says: welcome to the future of music, music as brain stimulation, unlocking music's potential to influence cognitive states. Again, I, I you know I don't think this is great copy. Uh, Then it says select a mental state, focus, meditation, relaxation, naps, or nighttime sleep. Then it says results in 15 minutes designed for noticeable results within 15 minutes or less, pending scientific publication. So they're hedging their claim there. You know, a lot of this is just not that great. But basically, once you go and look at it a bit further, once you do a bit more reading on this website, you realize that this is an app where you can choose what mental state you want and it will generate music. So they say they have an AI that generates music. So it's always different music, and it uses some kind of a thing that's like binaural beats, but different, I guess, to to really stimulate that state in your brain. They also make the claim repeatedly that they collaborate with scientists on this, so that it's you know not just some person's idea, but that there's actual science backing this up the reason i'm using this as an example of a good offer is because well it's a music app and it's kind of also a meditation app and a focus you know a binaural beats brain focus app but it manages to not be in any of those major categories This means it's not competing against spotify and it's not competing against headspace which would be a big player in the meditation on the meditation side And it's also, I think, what's clever about this is that it identifies a use of music that the people are already doing. Right, a lot of people use music when they work, but often the music we listen to is maybe not ideal. Often we feel like, is this distracting me more than helping me? Right, should I be listening to music? but I'd like to listen to music, but then I know that, you know, distraction isn't good. I'd like to be focused. And this basically comes in and says, this is the solution, right? You want to have noise in your ears while you're working. Well, this will, you know, this is kind of guilt-free, let's say. This is guilt-free because this music is designed to help you focus. And then the same with meditation. You know, it's not a guided meditation, as far as I know. Anyway, it's not a guided meditation. It's not someone talking you through it. It's just, look, we have some music that it helps your brain get into that state. So I think this app or this service manages to find a gap, right? It manages or it manages to create a gap for itself and doesn't just fall into any of the obvious broad categories. And that's what makes it a very interesting offer. Example number seven is actually, this this has become a big player very quickly. It's Discord or the Discord app. Now what is Discord in case you don't know? It is basically Slack for non-work. Although you, I'm pretty sure you could you could use it as Slack. You could probably use it to replace Slack. I, I don't know if it's, you know, if does any real drawbacks compared to Slack. Now, as you probably know, if you're in the in the like online business and startup space, Slack is this phenomenally successful tool which Basically brought it. Basically managed to legitimize, legitimatize, legitimize, whatever. We'll 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 edit this to make it sound like um, I knew what I was. I knew which word it was. Slack managed to legitimize instant messaging for business. So instant messaging became the, the normal way for people to communicate, basically. I'm pretty sure people communicate more through instant messaging now than through any other medium, including actually talking to each other. And Slack brought that into the business world. And basically says, look, here's a a way to to give people that, the default way in which people are now used to communicating and make it okay in a business context. Massively successful, so much so that every other player tries to be Slack now. So Microsoft has a thing that tries to be Slack and there are several other large companies that basically, I think Google tried to make one as well. I don't know if they've already, you know, waived it or not. But anyway, everybody's trying to make a Slack now. And Discord came along and basically took that exact idea, that exact interface. I mean, it, it looks exactly like Slack. And... So how did, but how did they establish themselves? How did they stand out? Where, for example, Microsoft, I haven't, I don't know if anyone uses the Microsoft thing, right? So how did Discord manage to stand out? Well, their title on the website right now is it's time to ditch Skype and TeamSpeak. And they started advertising this specifically for gamers. So this is basically Slack for gamers. So people who, well, play multiplayer games, for example, and want to talk to their friends while they're playing. Before, I think the most popular app to do that might have been TeamSpeak, and Discord came along and said, look, this is a better alternative to TeamSpeak. It also applied to to streaming, to game streamers or Twitch streamers or something. You can tell that I'm out of my depth here. But anyway, they went after this gamer market first and then started to go, okay, you know, whatever. Whatever you used Skype or TeamSpeak for, Discord is the better thing. And I think they do, I mean, from what I've read, they do seem to just have better quality. So if you have been told that if you get on a on a Discord call, I've never tried this myself, but I've been told that if you get on a Discord call, you just have less problems with you know low quality and dropping calls and so on than you have with something like Skype. The genius here is that they went for a niche market. So instead of what everybody else was doing, well, what everybody else was doing is basically also a niche market, which is instant messaging for business. And everybody saw the the success of Slack and then tried to do the same thing for the same market. For the most part, as far as I know, they failed. And Discord came along and said, you know, screw that. We're not trying to be Slack because Slack is already Slack. Slack. We are simply, I mean, we're still, we're actually going to be Slack, but for a totally different group of people and for a totally different use case. This is an interesting example because, well, it's a very powerful example of how the same product can be different offers. I mean, literally, you could take Slack and just reskin it. Take Slack and make it, give it a gray background, give it a different name, and say, this is for gamers now. And you have Discord. I mean, it's it's so exactly the same thing. Now, I'm not, I'm not saying, look, they have some, like I said, they went after gamers and they have some specific features where you can have like an overlay on top of your game or something like that. So they do have some features that, that differentiate it. But like the core of this product is so obviously the same thing. And this is an example of how the same basic product can be many different offers. And having a different offer, the way you frame your offer can make all the difference, to the success of that business. Example number eight. This one, I love this one. Talking about great titles, right? From the Meditation for Fidgety Skeptics. Talk about a great brand name. This product is called Less Accounting. Less Accounting. Their headline is accounting software for business owners who dislike bookkeeping. This is genius because basically it's saying accounting for every business owner ever. I mean, who likes bookkeeping? But it's, it's one of those ways in which you can make something more specific without actually making it more specific. You know, because somehow if you say, even if you say, you know, X for men and women, <laughs> that somehow seems more specific than just saying X for everyone, even though it's basically the same statement. But this is just one of these things where, and again, like it's, it's calling out the negative instead of being in love with your own business, right? Instead of being like, well, I know everything about accounting. I know all the details. I know the complexity. I know how important it is and so on, which I'm sure the people making this software are in that position. They probably don't dislike accounting so much. But realizing that everyone else in this market is not like you and is not enthusiastic about this and and selling them the solution to that. So in calling the product less accounting is just genius. Accounting software for business owners who dislike bookkeeping. Hell yes. Here, if you want to see how this could have gone wrong, it's, it's kind of the same thing as we had with the apps. If you just look for accounting software, bookkeeping software, there are so many. And most of them make the claims, you know, most of the value propositions are fast and easy, right? This is fast, this is easy. Fast and easy invoicing, fast, fast, fast. And so that's totally saturated already. And they say less, less accounting. It kind of takes balls to do that, you know, for an accounting software company. So that is brilliant. And, and right away, that's, you know, I think this is also applicable. Like think about your market, think about your skill, your area of expertise and think about, is there something here that instead of trying to win people over, instead of trying to teach them your thing, can you just sell them on the idea that they don't have to deal with this? That is often an overlooked opportunity that can be really, really valuable. And example number nine, our final example in this list is nerd fitness. Nerd fitness, tagline, level up your life so that is right away and then on the homepage right now there's a picture of a bunch of people cosplaying so they're pretty serious about the nerding and it says we help nerds, misfits and mutants lose weight, get strong and get healthy permanently another genius thing here is that there are before and after pictures of course right every fitness website has to have before and after pictures so they're prominently displayed before and after pictures here of people who do look quite nerdy and most of them look nerdy in their after picture as well. So most of them have made progress, but not like an intimidating level of progress. It's not like the get ripped in 30 days kind of thing where, you know, you see this totally skinny dude and then you see the massive bodybuilder on the other side and you're like, oh yeah, that's what's going to happen in 30 days. Like the kind of person who comes to this website would be skeptical of such a thing anyway. And so they see here, okay, you know, here are some people who look like nerds in the before picture. And in the after picture, you know, some of them look really fit. Some of them look just noticeably fitter, but they still look like human beings. Like I can, you know, I can see myself make this kind of progress where I can't see myself turn into this muscle monster. So that's a clever choice here. They didn't pick out the most extreme, most unbelievable transformations to showcase. They picked some, you know, more believable, more relatable and Transformations that are more appealing to skeptics as well. It's also an example of a really good brand name where the offer really informs the entire brand and the way everything is presented. Because obviously, you know, nerd fitness is great right away, right off the bat, you can see how this is different from your typical get shredded kind of fitness offer. So the thing, the takeaway I think here, what you can apply to your own thinking about your offer is... This is a, again a similar example to the meditation for fidgety skeptics, where you can think about okay, everyone's appealing to the masses here. Is there is there like a niche group of people who maybe want this thing, but are generally nobody talks to them. Right. So if you think of nerds, people who self-identify as nerds, I mean, they still want to be fit and healthy, but generally nobody sells to them. Nobody talks in a way that is appealing to them and that doesn't you know set off their their bullshit alarm. So is there something like that in your business? Is there something like that where maybe there's this this market of people who are just being ignored because they aren't as central to your market? They're not like sitting in the middle of that Venn diagram? And maybe there's a huge opportunity to, to formulate an offer for one of these fringe groups. And with that, we can wrap up episode 18 of the active growth podcast like i mentioned at the top of the episode you can go to activegrowth.com forward slash 18 to get the show notes which includes the list of offers i went through and links to all of them so if anything tickled your fancy and you want to check it out or sign up for it then activegrowth.com forward slash 18 is where you will find all of that also as i mentioned in the beginning a little bonus regarding my big picture tracking sheet for 2018 now if you don't know what i'm talking about go to activegrowth.com forward slash 18 and we link to that blog post we'll link to a blog post i created with a spreadsheet that you can download and use for a specific kind of tracking for 2018 so it's a way that i've developed for myself that i'm testing out it's not not a a tested or proven method yet but I think this will help me stay focused in a kind of big-picture way and it's a simple spreadsheet for tracking things in three categories number one challenges such as a 30-day challenge number two focus skills which is a certain way to focus something you already do anyway and number three books you read now with the year started I have filled in the first box for the first week of the year for these three categories and in case you're wondering what the kind of stuff is that i track here i wanted to give you an insight into that so here's what i have in my challenges focus skills and books spreadsheet on the challenges i have only one currently running which is one hour of meditation per day for 10 days i do this in three sessions of 20 minutes each i have also done one hour sessions like one hour at a time is the longest I've ever meditated and I think that can be useful but it's rather painful <laughs> uh, or it's very difficult anyway uh, three times 20 minutes is pretty difficult as well but I do think that I benefit from doing this so one hour of meditation every day for 10 days and as you can see I didn't make this a 30-day challenge I'm not sure if I want to extend this beyond 10 days but I do want to stick with it for 10 days then and that's the only challenge I'm, I'm currently doing focus skills there are more here because my first three focus skills are all fitness related so these are all things that I focus on in my daily or almost daily exercise the first is handstand I've been working on my handstand working on my wrist flexibility and strength that's my main problem there that I can't practice handstand very much because my wrists start to hurt so that's something that I work on regularly then my second skill here I call it becoming a pull-up monster because really I wanted to work on muscle ups but the gym I go to right now doesn't have any pull-up bars that have enough clearance at the top to for me to be able to do muscle ups so if I did successfully do a muscle up but also immediately knock myself out on the ceiling which I don't think is a great way to learn muscle ups so instead become a pull-up monster is basically well I just want to be able to pull uh, I just want to be able to do lots of pull-ups and I want to be able to pull a lot of weight on pull-ups so so those are two things I'm doing is just volume just a lot of pull-ups and chin-ups and then weighted pull-ups and chin-ups and I'm thinking that you know by the time I get to a gym where I can or maybe I f- I'll find um, a bar somewhere that I can use but if I if I do this for a few weeks then you know the stronger I get on my pull-up the better I'll be able to do muscle-ups as well and then the, the third focus skill is just squats again that's at the gym I'm just working on stronger squat because I think that's one of the best overall exercises for for health and strength so those are three fitness focus skills and then I have two uh, business focus skills basically one of is delegation work so I try to do more work to delegate and not have to do work in the future and less work Um, that is just basically repeated work that I have to do again and again. And the second is teaching. And this is something I'll talk a bit more about in a future episode as well. I just want to be creating more teaching material. And then the books I am reading are Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, Altered Traits, Life 3.0, and The Road Less Traveled. So those are all books that are in progress. Some of them are almost finished. Two of them are almost finished actually. And seven habits of highly effective people have only just started reading and alter trades I'm about halfway through, which is by the way a book about meditation. And yeah, so and the, here I really want to make sure that the ones that are almost finished, that I finish them before I start anything new. So that is what my tracking sheet currently looks like. And even though it's very early on, you know, so far, so good. And then also another reminder is you can tweet questions at ActiGrow on Twitter. That's at ActiGrow. Tweet your questions and you will maybe get the question answered in a future episode. So I would love to get a kind of a flow going on Twitter where we get a bunch of questions every week and maybe we can answer two or three of them at the beginning of the episode or at the end of the episode or something like that, just to add a bit more variety into this podcast and also like we said from the very beginning of this podcast it's important to us this isn't just one-way communication we don't want to just be talking at you we want to make sure that our content is as useful for you as possible and as relevant as possible and being in an actual dialogue with listeners is i think indispensable for this so i hope that the twitter questions can also help with that right if we get a steady stream of questions that are related to our episodes or unrelated to our episodes that can inform the kinds of stuff we should be talking about. So to get that going, simply go to Twitter and tweet your question at ActiGrow. With that, thank you for listening, and I'll catch you in the next episode.